Today on the show, who was Dr. Rafael Thomas and how did his bravery in preaching the gospel in the Philippines impact missions today? Dr. Thomas has another issue that comes in here that has a big part in the later part of his story, and that is that he wrote to them to be concerned not so much about the imminent return of Christ as about the imminence of Christ. We talked to ABWE veteran missionary Jim Ruff on the show. Welcome to the Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm Alex Kochman, Director of Advancement and Communications with ABWE. Joined again here in the saddle with Scott Dunford, pastor of Redeemer Church in Fremont, California. And if you are blessed by the show, remember to share it, subscribe if you don't already subscribe, and leave a positive rating and review in your podcast platform of choice that will appease the algorithms and help get this content in front of others who can be blessed by it. It's amazing, Scott, that we've been doing this five years, which is not that long in the grand scheme of eternity. But, you know, I'm I'm a millennial, so that's a long time for me. That's an eternity for me. I'm not patient. I know you're not patient either. It's a long time for me, too. And uh, what a joy. <laughs> what a joy to be able to do it. And, you know, one of the things that I love about being a part of Christendom, the the kingdom of God, but but also specifically modern missions and and this organization, ABWE, is that there is a legacy of faithfulness. I had the privilege a few weeks ago of talking to a friend of mine, uh, Pastor RJ in the uh, Southern California area. And RJ, if you're listening, um, shout out to RJ and, and his church. But uh, he can trace his salvation, the salvation of his family, the generations of him and other Filipino pastors in that area, all the way back to ABWE's very first founding missionary, Dr. Rafael Thomas, who went to the Philippines 94 years ago. We're recording this in the year 2022, and ABWE began in 1927. Just an incredible thing, Scott. And I know that's something that you've spent time thinking about as well. Well, yeah. One, when I meet uh, Filipino pastors and Christians, often he, even out here on the West Coast, it's it's amazing how many times they have some connection to hmm. what was going on in ABWE in the Philippines, even though maybe they've lost that connection in years since. But also just as someone who's been a part of the ABWE world as a sending pastor, as a, as a missionary, as someone working in the, in the international headquarters and administration, you know, it's one of those big portraits that we have hanging. Um, and even if we go into the, the main uh, chapel area, the pictures on the walls, the documents, of the walls, give a testimony to, to one missionary that was a huge influence on a lot of people, including us. And that is uh, Dr. Raphael and his wife, Norma Thomas. And so it's, mm-hmm. I think it's very appropriate that we, we've never talked about him. We've talked about Lucy Peabody, yeah. uh, the founder of ABWE. Uh, we've talked about a lot of other famous missionaries from times past. We've never talked about the Thomases. And so it's appropriate that we have a veteran missionary, uh, someone who was involved in my training way back when Jim Ruff is joined us. And so, Jim, well, welcome to the show. Uh, you can tell us a little bit more about you and what you're doing now in ministry. But we really want to dive into this question of who were Raphael and Norma Thomas and why would you choose to write a biography of them? Well, it's uh, it's a joy to be with you. And uh, I trust that God will uh, will help us as we go way back in our history. In fact, far before the history of even ABEO and ABWE. 
I actually, as a missionary to Japan, had the privilege of learning a little bit about Dr. Thomas through speakers during the years that I was preparing to go to the field. After coming back to the States, uh, I had to come back for health reasons for both me and my wife. Uh, I was given the opportunity of serving in, uh, in the home office in helping to start the, uh, the training ministry of ABWE. And during that time, I had a few additional assignments. One of them was to uh, put together a list of all the churches that had been started in the Philippines during the many, many years from the beginning of the ministry of ABEO there all the way through the war. It was a joy to do that and a tremendous blessing to see how both with and without missionaries, God had been using our Filipino brothers and sisters to, uh, to grow the church there in the Philippines. And then I had the opportunity to uh, work on the 75th anniversary book that was put out for ABWE. And in that process was going through all the archival materials and trying to organize things and get pictures and information and kept running across more and more files on Dr. Thomas. And the more I read, the more fascinated I became. I was uh, then starting my doctoral work up at Baptist Bible Seminary. And for the project that I intended to bring into it, I was looking at a biography of Dr. Thomas. I didn't realize at that point that that biography would take a lot longer. In fact, I ended up doing a basic missional theology for our missionaries with ABWE as my doctoral project and just kept working on Dr. Thomas through the years and continued to be blessed as I learned more and more about him. Well, one thing about our show is that we have a lot of ABWE listeners. We've also got a lot of listeners outside the ABWE family. There's some history even in just what you unpacked just now, Jim. So ABEO was Association of Baptists for Evangelism of the Orient. That was the original name of what became then, yes. uh, I believe sometime in the 40s, became ABWE now, Association of Baptists for World Evangelism. And so there's there's so much history. So uh, let, let's make that graspable and understandable for people that might sure. come from an outside organization or approach this as an outsider wondering why does this matter to me? So the Thomases ministered in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. What was happening at that time that that led to some of the factors where ABWE was founded? What were they doing and, and, and what was going on at that point culturally and inside the church? It's important for us to go back to the 19th century, Alex, in order to pick up the, the real picture of that time. If we go back to the time when Dr. Thomas was born, in the, 19, in the 1870s, hard to say that, <laughs> there was a, mm. a vast movement afoot toward attempting to bring through the work of missions the whole world to Christ. There was a hope that by the end of the 19th century that might take place. Dr. Thomas was actually born into a ministry family. His dad, who was in his earlier years a lawyer like his father and his uncle before him, actually became a pastor 
As a result of the death of two of his children, Dr. Thomas's children, I'm going to call him Raph because that's what I call him in the book. Uh, Raphael was his full name, but uh, many called him Raph for short. Raph actually knew his very few of his brothers and sisters. Many of them died. And as a result of that, his dad was moved to lay aside the law and go into ministry. As he was entering into his pastoral ministry, his son, Raph, was growing up to the point where he felt that he could begin to introduce him to several ministries that were ongoing, including that of Moody. The Northfield conferences began during the years that Raph was just uh, in his teens. So he and his dad would attend the Northfield conferences that Dwight Moody held. And in those conferences, there was always a tremendous emphasis on missions. It was really during that period of time that Raph became burdened to become a missionary. So that by the time he reached the end of his high school years uh, in 1892, he was prepared to become a missionary doctor. In order to do that, he had to go to school in a, uh, a school that was relatively nearby, so he chose Harvard and uh, went to Harvard College for four years, graduating from there, went to Newton Seminary. Now, we're toward the end of that 19th century at this point, and another movement is beginning, and that's the student volunteer movement. It was not a missions movement per se. It was a, a means of raising up missionaries that they might be sent out to the world to, to be able to reach the rest of the world. So Dr. Thomas was uh, going to college during this time. He was uh, involved in the YMCA in Boston and, uh, in fact, became the uh, student director of the YMCA at that time. So his involvement in ministry was exceptional, even during his college years and seminary years. He left seminary to go back to Harvard Medical School, completed his training there, was two years and an internship in Boston, and then went back to Newton. And that's where the Philippines comes into the story. This is fascinating. But I also am curious, I, we know that his wife, Norma, was the daughter of Lucy Peabody, who ended up officially founding ABWE. Do we know much about, about Norma? Well, I can tell you a little bit more about Norma, but she doesn't come into the story yet. We're at okay. about... all right. <laughs> We're actually only in the early 1900s, in fact, about 1904. And uh, at that point, Dr. Thomas met a missionary from the Philippines, Dr. Larigo. Dr. Larigo approached Thomas after he had spoken and told him that there was a tremendous need in the Philippines. Raf's mindset was, I want to be used of the Lord wherever the greatest need is. He thought it would probably be China. That was what he was preparing himself for, although he did give his graduation speech at Newton Seminary on Japan, the strategic place of Japan in, in Christianity. 
So meeting Dr. Larigo, Raf was challenged to recognize the great need there in the Philippines. The ministry was just beginning there after the end of the Spanish-American War. And so there was a great need for medical missionaries. He realized that's where God would have him to go, and he began his application for the association that became his association, the ABMU, at that point. After uh, his first term, he returned to the States, having met a young woman while he was in the Philippines, who became his first wife, Winifred. And uh, he and Winifred were married and went back, actually, for his second term uh, with the ABMU, which became the American Baptist Foreign Mission Society later on. Having... uh, their first term together, there were some wonderful experiences they enjoyed. But toward the end of that term, she gave birth to a child. She became quite ill. And they went on a ministry trip or a trip to actually give her a rest tour in Europe, came back to the States. She seemed to be doing better. They went back to the Philippines and shortly afterward, she died. So now we're in the early 1910s, 12s, this era, and God had, after that point, another reason for him to be back in the States and to meet Norma. And that was that his dad, whom he loved and uh, and idolized, was very, very ill. He had a, a little baby who he has no wife to care for. And so he came back to the States, became a pastor, worked in a hospital, and while he was there, met Norma. So Norma, Fascinating. <laughs> the daughter of uh, Mrs. Peabody, then became the love of his life. She was a tremendous person in her own right. She had great gifts as a writer, traveled around the world and wrote books about her experience, including about the Philippines. And uh, again, then as uh, Raf's wife went back to the Philippines and had the opportunity there of serving the Lord in a variety of ways together with him. And at that point, Raf was writing letters constantly to Norma's mom, whom he called mother. And uh, she had many names for him, but the primary one was Raf. Well, Let's just dive a little bit deeper, just so that we can understand the currents that were happening at the same time here. So Dr. Thomas was with this American Baptist uh, mission board or, or mission union. When we hear American Baptist today, we tend not to think of biblically stalwart, conservative, evangelical, orthodox believing, right? We know the history of of how things panned out for that particular denomination. That was beginning to happen at this early point. That's part of what led him in a doctor uh, in a different direction. Can can you unpack that for us? Sure. He was in the American Baptist Missionary Union at the time that it was gradually transferred over to one entity of the Northern Baptist Convention. The Northern Baptists at that point, and certainly the missionaries who had gone over under ABMU and uh, the American Baptist Board, this 
relationship was such that there were people who were coming out of a number of Baptist groups in the United States. Many of them, most of them early on, uh, loved the Lord. They were very solid in their faith. They had uh, started a school, which was a felt need, that became a college in the area of Iloilo, uh, in Haro. This group, as they grew and as they uh, multiplied, included some whose doctrinal position did not agree with the very conservative position that Dr. Thomas had. So as time went on and circumstances developed, he came to the place around uh, 1917, where he felt that the best way for him to develop the ministries he was involved in was to move them to a place where he was primarily involved there and not so much with the rest of the ministry of the American Baptists at that time. So he requested that he be given permission to work apart from the other ministries and concentrate on the ministry there in Iloilo, in uh, the Doan Institute, where they were training young people to uh, go out and present the gospel to people throughout the southern part of the Philippines. They were involved in uh, dormitories for high school students, and he was involved then in, in teaching them, evangelizing. These ministries were very time-consuming in addition to his full-time ministry as a physician, a doctor there in the uh, the joint hospital that was held jointly by the Presbyterians and the Baptists in that part of the Philippines. So this is sort of the background. The, the troubles developed over the years that followed. Raff had a tremendous ministry there. He loved the Filipinos, loved the people he was working with, and he loved many of those who were his colleagues. It's just that there developed some things that were happening related to the other school, some things related to the, the group of missionaries who were there with the board that Raff was unhappy with. And as a result of that, he began to feel that there was a, an undercurrent that was developing that he needed to begin to, to question. And uh, in the course of that questioning, there came to be a rift, if you will, between him and some of the other missionaries, and eventually with the board itself, to the point where he began to request that certain things take place. One of those requests was that there was another area of ministry that was opening up. And you have to understand that Raf was always looking out for other ministry possibilities. That was his heart. Mm. He was involved in church planning. He was training. He was doctoring. He was doing all of this, and now a new opportunity opened up. He himself had been having some health problems. And so as a result of that, the board came back and said, well, if you take back the request that you had made in 1917, that you be separate from the rest of the work, and if your health will allow, and there were two or three other things that were mentioned, 
then we will give you permission to do this. At the same time, what had been happening was that some letters had been sent back to the home board concerning Raff and his ministry, and he learned about the fact that he had not been notified that this was going on. And so he sent a letter to the board and requested that the board would do certain things that would control the dissemination of information and that sort of thing. He was willing to go along with what they had requested, but he wanted to make sure that they were aware of the problems he was seeing. Mm. And so what happened next? Next is the breakup, if you will. Around uh, 1926, still at the height of his excitement about what the Lord was doing, Literally, in that area of the Philippines, there were over a thousand baptisms in the course of a year. There were hundreds who were coming to Christ. He was so excited about this. He had really been praying for years that the Lord would provide another doctor to come in so he could just be involved in helping with surgery and out doing these other ministries. And the reins were being pulled in. And so the result of that was that in 1926, he resigned from the ABFMS. In his resignation, he made it clear that he wanted to be able to talk with the board about it. The board sent over a delegation to investigate everything that was happening in the Philippines. But he believed at that point that it was the wrong thing for them to do and for him to be there He returned to the States just about the time they arrived. They did meet briefly, and then he and Norma came back to the States. After that, they met with the board. The board felt that the best thing to do was to accept his resignation, and that was the end of his relationship after 20 years with with that board. So, Jim, the simplest retelling of the story that that often is circulated— kind of within our organizational family is is that the organization was drifting left into some kind of social gospel and didn't want their missionaries engaged in all of this direct evangelism. And Raphael Thomas was a dissenter. So there's more layers, it sounds like, but there's truth there as well. So how accurate would you say that assessment is? How would you characterize it briefly? I learned very quickly as I was going through this period of Raph's life that there are many layers to it. It is true. In, in fact, let me put it this way. One of the claims that was made by the IBFMS when they accepted Raph's resignation was that he had not mentioned anything about concerns about a movement left about uh, liberalism within the missionary work there in the Philippines. Later in his response to that, Raff mentioned, as did Mrs. Peabody when she appeared before the board, he mentioned that he had not brought that issue up because he did not want to embarrass the mission by bringing out these issues at that time. He did, however, feel strongly that one of the greatest needs was to keep the ministries in Iloilo and the other areas where they were working under a conservative umbrella. 
because he felt that the influences that were coming from outside of that were not conservative to the degree that they were. So he, as evangelicals of a different stripe, these missionaries at this point became concerned about the fact that this was a man who was so burdened to evangelize that he was somehow not doing the ministry he'd been sent there to do. And so they they felt that they needed to kind of bring that information to the board. Raff mm-hmm. insisted that he had never neglected the work in the hospital, but that he had simply wanted to keep that ministry free of other movements and liberal ideas that were being brought into the Philippines. So yes, it is. It's much more complicated, but that is. Yeah. And that is helpful. And, you know, I think with so many of these things, historically, you you can pick any example from church history from modern day, right? There's, there's all sorts of interests and layers that are at stake in so many of these things. And yet there, there is that temptation, I think in any institution to start to care more about the externals and the programs and maintaining all those sorts of things and the agenda, everything that was drifting to the left and how beautiful to hear that there's this missionary who just has this good old fashioned burden for the loss and is just convicted of, I, I need to be doing evangelism a lot more than, than really anyone else around me is. And to see how God used that impulse and that spark uh, to lead to something more. Sorry, Scott, I didn't mean to talk over you. No, I, I was just going to add, you know, for those who aren't familiar with history as much about those times, that was a time when a lot of separation, I think is probably the right word, was going on yeah. within lots of denominations as as there was this liberal drift within Methodism, Presbyterianism, Baptist, Lutheranism, and a lot of dissent movements were starting at that point was people were going, a line has to be drawn somewhere around the integrity of the gospel and the clearness of God's word and the authority of God's word. And even the inspiration of scripture was being debated at that time. And so for us, it was the beginning of ABWE, but it was something that was happening all throughout the the missions world and the Christian world, and at least the, the Western Christian world at that time. So he's fascinating as part of that. Dr. Curtis Laws was actually one of those with his watchman examiner who was exposing much of this and was the one who actually coined the phrase fundamentalism as we know it now. It turns out that Dr. Laws was also one of those who was there at Watch Hill when the uh, meeting was held with supporters of Dr. Thomas with the idea that maybe it would be possible to send him back under a new mission organization. And that of course became the ABEO. So Dr. Laws was involved in that movement, as well as being involved in the beginnings of ABEO. Mm. Are there any anecdotes or stories that you could bring to us that maybe just highlight their personality and and a little bit of interest about either Raphael or Norma? Well, Raph is, uh, is a character. If you read much of his writings, you begin to realize that he had a very strong Boston sensibility he was a, uh, a man's man of his age, and he had a tendency to, uh, to like to tell stories about experiences that he had had, not always about his family. In fact, he was kind of reticent to talk about his family. In the book, I have a chapter where I use part of a story that he wrote and tried to get published during the 1950s as a, an introduction to the romantic heart that he actually had. 
But in this romance, he just had a, a great love for the Filipinos and liked to tell stories on himself as well. One of the stories he tells is how he had gone out to an island and uh, supposedly there were a hundred pianos on this island. And he went out to see this amazing thing in the Philippines. On the way back, there was a terrible storm. So he's riding in this boat and he sees another boat not far away that seemed to be having tremendous problems. It was just rocking back and forth. And that he was just sure that that person was going to lose it. And yep, a wave hit it, knocked it over, knocked him out of the boat. So he's saying to the pilot of his boat, we've got to stop. We've got to stop. We've got to rescue that man. Didn't you see him fall out of the boat? And so the Filipino who was piloting the boat turned back to him and said, uh, I see, I see. I, and he kept right on going. And he said, you've got to go back. You've got to save him. And at that moment, he saw the pilot of the other boat stand up. It turned out that at that point in the lake that they were in, the water was only four feet deep. So uh, <laughs> there was no real danger for that individual. <laughs> he, uh, he would ride on boats. And in the trips, he would always have a pistol with him, not because he ever intended to use it. He never shot it. But there were pirates who would be on those boats. And so he wanted to make sure that he was armed for it. He enjoyed young people. One of his great burdens was the evangelization of young people and teaching young people. And he reached out to them constantly after he ceased going to the Philippines and was involved in another ministry that I can tell you about briefly that is amazing. He would write to groups of young people. He would invite them to get together and form groups to evangelize their friends and their neighbors, to work in the colleges toward bringing people to Christ. So he just continually had these burdens all the way through the ministries yeah. that he had. Well, Jim, tell us a little bit what he did after the Philippines, but just help us understand at a high level. It sounds like this is kind of a rugged individualist, not in the negative sense that he didn't care about others, but he, he seems singularly focused on discharging his ministry. Um, and, and you, you kind of got at that. He wasn't necessarily concerned with starting a movement, starting another organization, even telling stories of his family so much as as really had the singular focus on winning individuals to Christ. So at what point was there a turn or, or did he ever have the vision that ABEO would become something much larger? Now he was its first missionary. He wasn't necessarily leading the organization in every way, but was there a turn where, where he began to broaden his vision or where did God's providence take him after his ministry in the Philippines? I should mention before I forget one of the things that really burdened me to explore the life of this man was having stood at the, the grave of his wife. And by the way, he lost the daughter, Norma, and he had had a daughter and a son, and the daughter died in the Philippines. So I had the opportunity of seeing their graves there. But I got to thinking of the, the impact of their lives on the people, the Filipinos and the Filipinas, the wonderful people of that country. And that ministry that he had through these early years burdened him so much for how the new mission boards should work that he began to correspond immediately with the first missionaries who went out. I should mention that there were some who left 
ABFMS at the same time he did and became with he and Norma, the first missionaries there. Then they had new missionaries coming out over the next several years. And he became the field leader of those missionaries because of his burden, because of the seriousness of his heart toward what needed to be done there and to prevent the problems of the past. He tended to be a little bit overbearing in some of the things that he wrote. And there's another issue that comes in here that has a big part in the later part of his story. And that is that he wrote to them to be concerned, not so much about the imminent return of Christ as about the imminence of Christ. That becomes mm-hmm. part of the story because he and uh, Mrs. Peabody had been from the era when the training that they received was primarily post-millennial or amillennial. And so all of a sudden there are these missionaries who were coming out who were dispensationalists. And so he got concerned because he, he wanted to make sure that these dispensationalists, with all of their interest in the millennium and the return of Christ, that they would be fascinated with the people and that they would be evangelizing the people. And so he Mm, brought this out so strongly that one of the early missionaries actually resigned from ABWE because he thought he was being threatened for his dispensational stand. Some of the stories that come out during this period are fascinating. But as time went on, his health became a, a factor. And so actually from about 1927 to 1932 or 33, He was physically involved in the ministry in the Philippines. From that point on, he was a great supporter, but he and Norma were back in the States, and he became engaged in another ministry of trying to get the pastors of the Northern Baptist Convention, those who were true fundamentalists, to begin to give Baptist money for Baptist missions. And so he devoted years in the attempt to try to get these conservative pastors within the Northern Baptist Convention to become engaged with the idea that they should support a fundamentalist board that was meeting the needs of people through evangelism. And of course, when we say fundamentalist, we're referring to the fundamentalist movement at the beginning of the 20th century, which was a a movement of saying, we're going to be about the pillars of the faith, the the virgin birth, the substitutionary, the penal substitutionary atonement, atoning death of Christ, the inspiration and infallibility of scripture, all those sorts of things. Absolutely. I I just think there's so many lessons here uh, for missionaries today. Scott, I've, I've got a quote that's kind of burning a hole in my hands as, as I'm looking at it, holding it, wanting to read it. But I don't know if you want to interject anything, but I've, I've got it. a quote that I think brings a lot of this full circle. So our friend RJ Kabugwas, uh, who who ministers in Southern California, we started out by talking about him. And uh, I, I captured a few notes from my last conversation with him. As we said at the beginning of the show, um, him and his family, a number of other Filipinos, trace their salvation to the ministries that were started by Dr. Thomas and Norma back in the day. Uh, And he said this, I'm a third generation pastor and could still savor the moment wherein I could say with all of my heart 
I could not even begin to express my thanksgiving to ABWE missionaries after all these things. Uh, and, And he talks a little bit more about what that journey looks like. He says, you guys here in America experience a lot that we don't experience in the Philippines. And yet you've stripped aside all of the comfort that you had here in America. And he's speaking specifically about the early founders of the mission. Flew all the way to the Philippines in a third world country to share the gospel. And I'm a recipient of the grace of God because of ABWE missionaries who have shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for that, I am forever thankful. And he goes on from there and, and uh, what, what just a powerful testimony that we're going to be in heaven with these people. We're going to be in heaven with Dr. Thomas and Lucy Peabody and Lottie Moon and Annie Armstrong and, you know, pick, pick all of these, you know, kind of saints that lined the way William Carey. And what a powerful story there, Scott. Yeah, absolutely. What and what a great legacy! And I uh, really appreciate the work you're doing. I know you're not quite—it's not quite ready. I don't know if they think it's quite published yet. But Jim, can you tell people a little bit more how they can find out more about the book, where they can get the book? I uh, would love to know more about how people can connect. And if they have questions, how can they reach you? I would like to follow up if I could on Alex before I I do that. Of course, um, at, at yeah. the end of the book. I have a comment that I make about Raph and his dear wives and all of those who were his colleagues who served the Lord there and those of us who've had the privilege of serving as missionaries. I said, if you were to turn to them at the point that you join them in heaven and ask them, what was the greatest thing that was accomplished during their ministries, they would turn to the people whom God gave them the privilege of leading to him. And he would say, they are. I, I'm excited to, uh, to see the book come into a final form. It is completely written at this point, but we're going to have to move now into the editing and, and the eventual publication of the book. If anyone would like to write me or to ask further questions or just get a little bit more of an insight into some of the areas that we have or haven't talked about, you can contact me at jim at abwe.org. That's right. Very good. Yeah. I encourage you all to reach out to Jim, get some more information. Um, What a powerful testimony that not only will we meet some of these cloud of witnesses that lie behind us in history, but also that they'll be in heaven in glory with the fruit of their ministry, all of the individuals that have come to the Lord through them. And, And that includes many of us. And may it be that we're able to bring many with us as well from all nations. What a powerful story, Jim. Thank you for joining us here today. And to you who are listening, thank you for being a part of the Missions Podcast today. The Missions Podcast is, in case you hadn't guessed it by now, the ministry of ABWE. To get more, go to missionspodcast.com or abwe.org slash podcast. You can learn more about the organization there. Before you leave, remember to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. New episodes drop every Sunday night at 7 p.m. And share the show with a friend. Leave a positive rating and a five-star review as well. That will help other people discover the content and you can partner with us as well. And we would appreciate that greatly as we're trying to do a lot more, bring you more content in the years to come missionspodcast.com slash support until next week. Thank you for listening.